It's a lot of people that attend church, but they're not really a part of the church. And so we need to make sure that we are not just attending a church, but that we are, in fact, a part of the church. And so that's what I want to deal with this evening. And I believe the Lord's going to help us. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, you can remain seated tonight. 1 Kings chapter 17. And let's go to verse number 8, and I'll, I'll set this up for you, what is, what is happening up to this point. Elijah, the prophet of God, has come in, and he told Ahab, he said that it is not going to rain for three years. The Lord is not going to allow it to rain, and God shut up the heavens according to the word of Elijah, and Uh, There was no rain. And during that time, God told Elijah, he said, you need to go to the brook Cherith and you're going to drink from that brook. There's going to be water there and you're going to drink from that brook and I'll send ravens there to feed you. And so ravens would come to him and they would bring meat and Elijah would eat of that meat and there he was sustained by God. And that was a tremendous thing. Something very interesting to me that takes place there. Um, This is not part of my notes, but but it's very interesting to see how God's plan can be orchestrated and how he does all things perfectly and well. Don't you know, at at some point that brook dried up and the Lord told Elijah, he said, you're going to leave here now, you're going to go to a widow at Zarephath and that's where I'm going in just a moment. Um, That brook dried up. But isn't it amazing that while ravens are commanded by God to bring meat to Elijah and feed him, that at the same time, God would allow that brook to dry up. That almost doesn't make sense, does it? Why, God, if you're going to send ravens to feed him, surely you can allow the brook to maintain and hold water. After all, he was the one that allowed water to come out of the rock, right? He was the one that that uh, the Bible said that rock was Christ, that rock followed them through the wilderness. So if God can do all of that and, and ravens are coming, why wouldn't you allow that brook to, to continue to flow and, uh, despite the drought? And yet God didn't do that. Sometimes God does a miracle in our lives for a certain season of time and then the time comes and God says, now I'm going to do something different. And just because one thing has ended doesn't mean that God has forgotten where you are. Just because the the, the miraculous thing that was taking place in your life is over does not mean that God is through with you. And so we read in verse number 8, the Bible says, The word of the Lord, after this brook has dried up, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there... Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to... Let me back up. The Lord said, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. All right? God's already orchestrated it. God's already set it up. Remember that. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. 
And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Everybody say first. And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he in her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Now, one thing I want to point out here is that it's amazing to me that God would tell Elijah, go to Zarephath because there's a widow there who I have commanded. That's a past tense word. I've already done it. I've already commanded her to take care of you and she's going to sustain you. And yet when Elijah gets there, he has to tell her. So evidently God hasn't shared this with this woman yet. He's only shared it with Elijah. So what she receives comes straight from him. She doesn't hear it from God uh, directly as he did. Now, let me point this out. In that land, in that time, there was a whole lot of drought going on. And there was a lot of people who were suffering in that drought. This was not the only woman who was running out of food. And yet all she had was a little meal and a little oil, and she was gathering those two sticks so her and her son could eat, and then they were going to die. And yet of all those people who also were going through similar circumstances, who did not have enough food to eat, who did not have enough to get by, it's amazing that God only chose one to perform a miracle through. We need to make sure that we understand that just because somebody else is getting their miracle right now, doesn't mean that God has forgotten about me. And we need to not get frustrated. We need to not be jealous of those that God is doing something in their life because it's not going to be very long and it's not just going to be something they have, but before too long, God's going to break the drought and the rain's going to fall and the rivers are going to fill up and the creeks are going to fill up again and the crops are going to begin to produce again. And her one miracle was just part of the process to God bringing everybody a miracle. I don't want to be jealous of people who get a miracle. I don't want to be jealous of people who God does something special for them and, and, and get to doing what the Bible said is unwise when we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. It's not, it, it, it's not an indictment against you or I if God gives somebody else a miracle and doesn't give us one. It's not, it's not saying that God doesn't care about you. If somebody else's situation is taken care of supernaturally and yet you have to endure the night 
If you will endure the night, joy still comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many needed a miracle, but God chose her for some reason. Perhaps because he knew her faith, maybe. I want to talk about this woman and how she became a part of God's plan. And I'm going to deal with Elijah and how he was a part of God's plan. Becoming a part of God's plan will always begin with faith. Everybody say faith. You'll never be a... You're, you'll, you'll, Never be a willing part in something that you do not have faith in. You'll never be a willing part in something that you do not have faith in. You and I must allow our faith to increase. And let me just tell you tonight, and you've heard me preach about it before, but faith has the ability to increase. Faith has the ability to grow. You may start with a measure of faith. Everybody's given a measure of faith. But there were those in the Bible that had great faith. And there were those in the Bible who had little faith. I don't know about you, but I want to have great faith. Let me tell you the difference between great faith and little faith. Whatever you talk about is going to produce your faith. And so if you are always constantly talking down, you will have little faith. If you talk down on the Word of God, you'll have little faith. I feel my help coming tonight. I can tell I haven't got to preach in a while. If you talk down about the Word of God, you will have little faith. But if you embrace the Word of God, you can have great faith. And it is the will of God for everybody in this room to have a great faith. God shouldn't have to knock us over the head to get us on board with what He's trying to do. God shouldn't have to blow us over. It shouldn't have to be something crazy that happens in order for us to begin to believe God. We need to be like that Old Testament prophet who looked at his servant when his servant said, "But, but we're surrounded, Master. What will we do? And he said, he said, oh, he said, they that are with us are more than they that are with them. And, and he said, what are you talking about? He said, God, would you open his eyes? And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant of Elisha. And he saw that there was a great army that surrounded the army that had come against them. But Elisha's eyes were not open. He just prayed for the servant's eyes to be open. What was the difference? The servant had little faith. But Elisha had great faith. And I don't have to see if I trust God and believe that God's going to do it. And, and I tell you how we'll know if we've got little faith. Is if you can't believe it unless you see it. But the Bible said faith is the substance of things hoped for. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you've got to see it to believe it, you don't have faith. Faith is... By, by definition, is believing when you cannot see it. And I don't know about you, but I want to believe God even when I can't see what God is doing. Amen? Amen. So in order to become a part of God's plan, we've got to have faith. That's where it starts. This woman had faith in three things. She had faith, everybody say, in the man of God. She had faith in the man of God. That's the first one. Hebrews 13 and 7. Hebrews 13 and 7. The Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. 
considering the end of their conversation or considering the end of their lifestyle. The, the Bible said, the writer of Hebrews telling them, you've got to remember those that have the rule over you. They've spoken to you the word of God, whose faith you need to follow, considering the end of their lifestyle. You study that. What he's saying is considering the end of what they have given their lives to, knowing that there is a hope that they have invested themselves in. And if they've got a faith to follow God and they're over you, then you need to follow after them. You've got to have faith in the man of God. Now, I'm not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a lot of things I don't get right. But I'm going to promise you that I've got faith enough for this church. That I've got a, that I've got a God who is above all. That I've got a God who sits in the heavens, and the earth is his footstool. I've got a God who is concerned with where you are and what you're going through, and I've got a God who could step in at any moment and he could turn it all around. I've got a faith in that kind of a God, and I'm asking you to have faith in my faith. I want you to have faith in my faith. When I get up and preach like I do, that's why I try to preach with passion. I don't ever want to get up here and just mealy mouth it. I don't ever want to get up here and give you the impression that I don't believe what I'm preaching. I preach like I do because I need you to believe that I believe what I'm saying. And I want you to have faith in what I'm saying. And I'm telling you right now with every fiber of my being I believe that the Lord could move in this place tonight and everything that walked in sick could walked out whole I believe that everybody that walked in with some bad report you could walk out tonight and get a phone call that turns it all around because God has moved I absolutely believe that I absolutely believe that I believe that no matter where you are and what you're dealing with, I believe that you can do as Brother Albritton preached Sunday. I believe you can just keep walking. I believe you can keep on walking. I don't think anything you're battling right now is so terrible that you can't continue on. You can make it. you got to have faith in the man of God. And, and I asked this church... I, 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 I don't like to preach that kind of thing because it's a, little, it's a little awkward for me to say, but I do feel like I need to teach us the Word of God. And so I, I asked this church, I want you to have faith in me. I want you to believe in me. I know we get bombarded, and, and it seems like everybody's got a bad pastor story. And, and, and we're, the, we're some pastor messed up somewhere. I can't speak for them. That's not, that's not me, and I can't... I can't explain what happened in those situations. I can't do that. All I can tell you is try to get a hold of my spirit and try to, try to link arms with me. And I believe that if we'll get together, that God can move in a great way. I believe if we'll allow our anointings to join together and we'll pour it into this thing called the church, that God's going to let something wonderful happen in our city. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Have faith in the man of God. Don't talk, don't, don't beat him up. Don't beat him up. I got a lot of things you could beat me up about. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. I got a lot of things you could say about, well, he's too this, or he's not enough that. And, and, and that's the way it is. I was at, that, I was at a, uh, a, a pastor's uh, training and leadership 
development deal. It's pretty interesting. There's only about six of us couples there. They want it very small, and so they can there can be a lot of interaction. and And they gave us one of those personality tests. anybody ever done a personality test? And so I I, I can't remember right now the name of the one we did and. It's supposed to be the one of the largest ones in the world. Now they've got like 50 million people that have gone into it. So the more people that take it, the more specified those results get. And I was pretty shocked at, at how well they got me. And, uh, and there was a podcast that they encouraged you to listen to uh, regarding your personality type. I was, it was the DISC assessment. Anybody ever done the DISC assessment? I was an SI. And uh, that means S is for steadiness, and I is for influence. And so I was an SI, more on the steadiness side. And, and so I listened to the podcast, and it started t- it, they started talking about me. They were telling me my strengths, and they were telling me my weaknesses. And, and I will tell you all this. They, they did say that SI is the number one rated personality type for a pastor that, that people want in a pastor. Isn't that great? Woo. That made me feel all right. I don't know if that's good or bad, though. It might mean people think they're walking all over him or something. No. It was, they went through all that stuff, and they talked about, talked about who we are and, and, and all of those things. And, and I want to be the best pastor for you I possibly can. I want you to be able to have faith in me. I'm not talking about replacing your faith in God for faith in me. But I am talking about a, God, a biblical concept where you have faith in me. I hope you, you believe I can lead this church. I hope you believe that this, that this church is entering in revival. I hope you believe that this church is walking in the paths of righteousness. I want to be that kind of a pastor. The second thing she had faith in was the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. Matthew 24 and 35. Matthew 24 and 35. The Bible says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This woman didn't just have faith in the man of God. She had faith in the word of God that he spoke. She knew, she understood something within her grasp, this concept, that even if heaven and earth were to pass away, God's words would never pass away. Somebody said one time, they said, well, if, what if everything just, what if the world just blew up and it caught fire and just everything blew up and everything you'd believed all your life, uh, you, there was no way it could possibly happen. What then? And somebody said, well, I'd still believe that somehow God was going to do something that brought it all back together. Why? Because they have that much faith in the word of God. And I want to have that much faith in the word of God. I want to have so much faith in the word of God that I want to become a husband patterned after the Word of God because I believe God will bless it. I want to have so much faith in the Word of God that I want to parent according to the Word of God because I know that God will bless it. I want to be so, so, so assured of the Word of God that I give like the Word of God wants me to give because I know that God's going to bless that, give it pressed down, shaken together and running over. I want to be convinced... That what God's word has said is true. That his word is yea and amen. I want to be absolutely persuaded of the fact that whatever God has declared, there is not a president that can mess it up. 
There's not a Congress that can mess it up. There's not a judge that can mess it up. There's not an employer that can mess it up. There's not a family member that can mess it up. There's not a friend that can mess it up. There's not anything, a sickness, that can mess it up. If God has said it, it will come to pass. We must have faith in the Word of God. The way we know we have faith in the Word of God is that we obey the Word of God. Amen? The third thing she had faith in was the ways of God. Everybody say the ways of God. Isaiah 55 and 9. Isaiah 55 and 9. Bible says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. She had faith that whatever God wanted to do was a better way to do it than how she was going to do it. Amen? She had faith that if God said do it this way, if she would do it that way, the end result would be better than if she had done it her way. And I want to have faith in the ways of God. I may not always, and here's the, here's the key thing about it, I may not always understand the ways of God. But just because I don't understand the ways of God doesn't mean I can't obey the Word of God. I've got to have faith that if I'll do it God's way, then God will bring about the right result. And too many people mess up and they do it their way and then they get mad at God. And they get frustrated and they backslide and they walk away from the church because God didn't do it their way. Let me tell you the problem with that. You make yourself God. We don't order God around. He's not our lackey. He's not our servant to do whatever we say, run and go and do and this and that. That's not how it works. He is God and I am not. And I've got to have faith in His ways. She had that. She had faith in the man of God, the word of God, and the ways of God. For the gift of faith to work in our lives, there must be faith in the will of God, that ultimate determined plan of God. And so... Uh, this is what we want to see happen. And she had this kind of faith. It's interesting if you read that chapter of 1 Kings 17. If you read that chapter all the way through, you're going to find that her fa- what started out as her faith eventually turned into her knowledge. What began, listen to this, this is so good. What began as faith became knowledge. When it was all said and done, what started out that she couldn't see was something she could see and she knew to be true. In other words, you have to faith it before you know it. You've got to faith it before you know it. That requires for you and I to be stretched beyond our ability to control the outcome. We have to step outside of the box of what we feel is safe. If you're going to to see these things happen, if you're going to become a part of what God is doing, you're going to have to be stretched beyond your ability to control how the outcome comes about. If I can control it, then God's not needed. Anything I can control does not require faith in God. If I can control it, I don't need faith in God. 
We don't need faith if we can see the end from the beginning. We don't need faith if we can work it out. That does not require faith. But in order for it to all come about like God wants it to, you're going to have to have faith. Noah had to, by faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his family. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why, why are you building this ark? You're on dry ground and you're building the biggest boat that's ever been built. Why in the world are you doing that? It can't even float anywhere. God told me to do it. God said if I'd do it, he'd take care of the rest. God said if I would just do what he said, he was going to work all the other things out. And for some 120 years, he built an ark that he nor anybody else really understood. Yet when God said, go inside, and God shut the door, he understood real well at the end of it all, when the rain began to fall and the fountains of the deep were broken up and began to come up. We've got to understand that if we can control it, then it isn't faith. But I want to live my life where I have faith in God. Because if I'm going to be a part of God's plan, that's where it all starts, is with my faith. I'm not talking about wanting something to happen. Just because you want it to happen doesn't mean it will. I'm talking about finding out what God wants to do. When God wants to do it. And then showing up there with the right attitude. That's how we're going to become a part of God's plan. With Elijah and that widow, it didn't just happen because he went. But he went because it was ordained by God. And God had told him... What to do. So the first thing was she had faith. The second thing was she did not look for excuses. Everybody say excuses. She did not look for excuses. She prioritized what God had called for above her own agenda. She didn't make an excuse of why she needed to do her thing before God's thing. Let me just tell you tonight, and this may get on our toes a little bit. But we always have time to do what we desire to do and what we make time to do. Well, I just don't have the time to be in church. You've got the time if you make the time. If you, if you work to prioritize that time, you can make the time. I understand there's emergencies. I get all of that. But when we are consistent in these things, it's not an issue of... of God having a problem. It's an issue with us having a problem. And we need to make sure that we are prioritizing God's agenda above our agenda. We always get to do everything we want to do. Isn't that the truth? We want to go on a trip, we go on a trip. We want to, we want to eat something we know we shouldn't eat. We eat what we know we shouldn't eat. I'm getting down where we live now. Whatever we want to do, we make time to do. It always works out. Let me just tell you, if we want the things of God, we've got to make time for the things of God. The devil will get you as busy as he possibly can. The devil will make every excuse for you. We had talked about a while ago. If the devil knows that, that if he can just get you a little hint of sickness in your body, he'll try to hit you every time a service comes along. If the devil knows that, that if, if, if somebody just asks you to do something, then, then, then he'll try to get somebody to ask you to do something so you'll miss church. If the devil knows that if, if 
by getting somebody to, to knock on the door right before you're getting ready to leave for church will keep you from going, he'll have somebody knocking on that door. Say, no, thank you. Come back later. Or you wait here for me. I'm gone to the house of God. Well, we have time to do what we desire to do and what we make time to do. Folks, our schedules are telling on us. And our schedules tell whose kingdom we value. Is this okay? It should not be in the, in the church of the living God. This is, if, if that bothers you, this is going to bother you more. It should not be in the church of the living God that getting help for the things in God's kingdom is a difficult thing to accomplish. It should not be that way. Everybody in this church should be a volunteer. Everybody in this church should be a volunteer. I wish I had. Matter of fact, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Y'all, will y'all give me just a second? I don't, I don't want anybody else doing this, but I'm pulling Twitter up right now in the middle of church, okay? But there's a good reason. You're going you're gonna to find out why. Brother Weber from Louisiana. He's a church, church growth uh, guru and always researching, and he posted this. He said a church, and in, in, in this is from one of the studies that he looked at, a church with 27% or less of its people that are involved in ministry is usually in decline. So if one quarter of the church, one fourth of the church is all that's involved in ministry, then that church is usually in decline. He said a church with, uh, from there up to 54% involved is on a plateau. So if we've only got 50% of the people in this church involved, then we're plateaued. He said, but a church with over 55% of its people serving in ministry is usually growing. I ask you, are you one of the ones helping to grow the church or plateau the church or decline it? I didn't mean for it to get so heavy, y'all. I think it's a question we all ought to ask ourselves. What am I doing to contribute to the growth of the kingdom of God? Am I involved in serving in the kingdom of God? I looked at Luke 14 today. Uh, let's look at Luke 14 and 15 if you'll go there. And then just kind of hang around that area because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a lot of that chapter. What, what time is it right now? 7.40. Oh, I'm good. I got, I got time. Luke 14 and 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And the Lord looks at him and says this, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make, Everybody say excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, I go to prove them, I pray you have me excused. Another said, I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And I always say that's the only one who was legitimate. <laughs> so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. 
Then the master, notice this. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Then go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that notice this, that none of those men which were bidden, I've never preached this, please hear it. None of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And then he goes on in verse 25 through 35, and I may read some of this in a moment. Uh, there went great multitudes with him. He turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've always read this parable of the Great Supper as being about uh, the coming of the Lord. I've always read that parable, and in my mind, I just, I just assumed that was talking about the coming of the Lord. But after my study, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's talking about the coming of the Lord anymore. I think that's talking about serving the kingdom of God. Because that entire chapter has to do with discipleship and the cost of serving the Lord. And you can go read some other things where he talks about uh, 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 heaven and, and, the, and the rapture of the church. He gives some parables for that, but that's not where this is. This is in the talk and his discussion about discipleship. It's amazing to me that there was a group of people that had been bidden. There was a group of people that were friends of the master. They were people he had a relationship with. And yet when he said, it's time for you to come, join me, they began to make excuse. And I looked at this today, and I feel like the Lord spoke to me. And, and I don't say that lightly. But I feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, there are people that come to my house. There are people that come to my church, and I'm trying to have a relationship with them. But when I ask them to serve my kingdom, they don't serve my kingdom. They want to be my friend, but they don't want to serve me. Oh God, I don't want to make excuses of why I cannot serve you. If we went through this room, everybody in this room has a good enough excuse of why they can't serve God. It would sound good to the ears, but it'd just be tickling ears. It wouldn't be legitimate in God's eyes. We can all find an excuse and a reason why we don't need to be involved and serve in the house of the Lord. But I am calling this church that everybody under the sound of my voice, everybody that listens to this message by podcast, I am calling every one of us to get involved in serving the kingdom of God. We've got to be involved in serving the kingdom of God. We've got to make sure we're not making excuses. Folks, I've heard doozy of excuses as a pastor. I've heard all kinds of reasons of why we can't and, 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 and this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something. You better be careful before you criticize somebody if you don't know what they're having to do to serve God. You better be real careful. So I'm not talking about us pointing fingers at each other and saying, why. Well, I, I seem to do more than that one does. That's not what I'm talking about. You don't know what they do to serve God. But you better be careful because sometimes there's things that are hidden from your view that God's got His eyes on. 
You better just let God handle it. You don't need to worry about them. You need to worry about you. And my question to you is, what are you doing to serve in the kingdom, the house of God? Oh, help us, Lord. This place, I'm not going to scream right now, but I'm going to say something. I, I feel like hollering it with everything in me. This place is about more than you getting preached to and sang to. And if that's all it is to you, then you're an immature Christian. This place is about more than that. It's about my brother and my sister. It's about me trying to reach somebody else and show them the kingdom of God. It's about me giving something back for all that God's given to me. And we've got people in churches today, in apostolic churches. And if the Lord would open our eyes to see in the Spirit, we're fat and slothful. Because we take in and we take in and we take in. They don't ever get up to pray with a sinner. They don't ever get down to the front of the church and go try to find somebody to, to help who's going through a struggle. What are you doing to serve the kingdom of God? Oh, I'm preaching right now. I hope you're okay. I'm not trying to hurt you, but I am trying to provoke you. God, help us to become servants in your kingdom. That foot washing thing was, was about more than just an, a, a, a symbol. And if you're happy to do the symbol, but you're not happy to do the reality of the symbol, the symbol not doing you any good. Help us, Lord. To quit making excuse and serve. It's about serving the kingdom. It's about serving the kingdom. Sister Bonnie, you asked me about a verse a while back. And the Lord gave it to me, the answer to me today. In Luke 14, when he goes through all of that. He says, I, I read you 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that come against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. You get in the middle of it and you try to back down is what he's saying. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Remember that, Sister Bonnie? Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. She asked me one time, what is that saying about that salt? What is that really saying? And I feel like the Lord opened my eyes to it today. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? In other words... The saints of God giving all to serve the Lord is good. But if the saints of God won't serve the Lord, what good are the saints of God? If the saints of God won't serve the kingdom of the Master, 
What good are the saints of God? They've lost their savor. You might as well throw them out. I am trying to provoke us tonight to where we want to become a part of God's plan. Would you just lift your hand right now? I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Would you help us, Lord? I want to be a part of your plan. I want to serve your kingdom. Third thing she did, she was willing. She had a desire to be used of God. And that's what we need. We need a revival of desire that we would give God our best. She made Elijah's cake first. You remember we pointed that out. She made Elijah's cake first. She didn't give him the leftovers. When she bought into God's plan, she gave God her best and not just her rest. So my question is, what are you giving to God in the areas you serve? Teacher, preacher, musician, singer, children's ministry worker, youth, hyphen, whatever the ministry is that you're serving in. Greeting, ushering, are you giving God your best or are you giving God just the rest? I want to give him what's best. I don't want to show up five minutes before church starts and try to take my post. I want to be here in time to give God my best. If you're a teacher, you need to make sure you're prepared. Those kids are counting on you to help put the word of God in them. Give God your best. If you're a singer, you need to be listening, learning your songs. you got to get here. People are going to be... Come into this place and they need to get in the presence of God. you got to give Him your best. And not just the rest. Pastor, you got to make sure when you get up there preach to these people, you've heard from the Lord. You're not just giving them something you can just pick up out of a book or something. you got to give them your best. And not just the rest. All of us need to give God our best. That's what I'm asking tonight. Are you giving God the best? Or are you giving God the rest? I had some other things that I wanted to get to. But I feel like we've gone where we needed to go tonight. And I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. And so what I would like us to do right now. If you would. Would you just stand with me? I thank God for good singing. I thank God for good preaching and teaching. I thank God for good helpers in different areas. But folks, we can't just depend on a few to get it done. If this church is going to be in a growth trajectory, it's going to take more than 25%. It's going to take more than 50%. But it's going to take the majority of the church pushing together to get it done. One statistic I read said that the average church, in the average church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Oh God, I don't want that to be my church. I want it to be that in my church, if I didn't show up, God, people would know that I didn't show up because they would miss what I contributed to the thing. God, we want to give you our best. And I pray tonight that we'd be stirred in our spirit.
I'm not asking for everybody to be a preacher. I'm not asking for everybody to be a teacher. I'm not asking for everybody to be a singer. I'm not asking for everybody to be a musician. I'm asking for everybody to be a servant. Because servants find places to serve no matter who's looking, who's not looking, no matter the accolades or the lack of accolades. And I'm going to try to give them to you. I really will. I'm going to try to give them to you. But we don't do it for the accolades. We do it for the master. We do it because we have faith in God. And if God's got a plan, I want to be a part of his plan. And to become a part of his plan, I'm going to have to quit making excuses. I'm going to have to be baptized with the revival of desire in my life. I'm going to have to give it all to him. I'm going to have to quit making the excuse. Own up to who I am and say, God, from this day on, I'm going to give you better than I've given you. I'm going to give you my best, Lord, and not just my rest. Would you lift your hands right now? And would you make that a prayer? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, folks, it's 8 o'clock. Could you give me four or five minutes of us stepping out from where we are and coming to the front of this church and just making a commitment tonight to the Lord? I feel like there's a call. I feel like there's a call to service in this house tonight. I'd like us to come and just make a commitment to God. Come pray. Come, come seek Him. Come lift your voice and lift your hands to heaven. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Let your voice be heard, would you, church? I will give you all. I will give you all, if all is what you ask of me, I will not withhold. And if my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, Help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. I will give you all. I will give you all. Oh, if all is what you ask of me. I will not withhold. And if my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. We want to give you all, Jesus. It's a message we don't hear enough of in 2019. But I'm calling this church back to sacrifice and giving all to Jesus. 
calling us back to giving it all to Jesus. Amen. I remember a day when that was a common message. Oh, Lord, don't let us lose that message. We want to give you all. Now, folks, I know the practical thing now says, how can I do that? We have ways we can get you involved. There's different things you can do. Some of them, not str- if, if your body isn't where it can do some things, we got things you can do that will not take a physical toll on your body. But everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. And let me say this, when we're having church, and, and we're having a particularly our Sunday family worship service, when we're having church and there's a move of God going on, I need everybody in this church getting involved in that. I need everybody responding at an altar call. I need everybody coming out from where they are so that we can make sure that we're helping others get all they need to have. Let me ask this question. How long? Anybody hungry for, and, and, and we have good ones around here, but we have some that are not good too. Anybody hungry for long? I'm an honest pastor, aren't I? Well, we won't be a great church if we're not. Anybody hungry for long, extended Altar services being the norm. Let's not just say we are. How long would the altar service be if it was predicated on how you sought God? Oh God. Oh God. I don't just want to say what I want to see in the church but I want to be what I want to see in the church otherwise we have no room to talk our words are sounding brass and tinkling cymbal help us God to give you all the name of Jesus I feel like this was a message for the church tonight amen amen whoever listens to this on the podcast I'm urging you, you may not have been here in this service tonight, but I'm urging you to catch hold of the spirit of what was in this house tonight and to get involved in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Please don't forget all of our announcements. Um, if, you are, if you do want to get involved, this is the guy to see right here. I appreciate Brother Jimmy, something that he's done. He's got a passion for getting people involved in our church. And he's got a list of things that is very, very long that you he can find a place to plug you in. Me? Yeah, you. He can find a place to plug you in, no matter how young, no matter how old. He's got it. And and that's who you need to see. And he can he can help begin to direct those things. And uh, and I appreciate you having a passion for that and doing that, Brother Jimmy. I really do. Um, let's let's do this, okay? Amen. Let's do this. Uh, please don't forget all the things we have coming up uh, Saturday. The Princess Tea Party that's taking place. Please don't forget um, uh, Sunday evening. We're having our department head meeting. And and you need the department heads if you've got not just little dates, but if there are big event dates that you need to schedule something, you need to bring that with you as well. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus name.